Oh boy. I had this realization like five minutes ago that I don't like this book that much, but I like the movie a lot. And I think I would like the book if the movie weren't so much better. There is so much to like about the book that I almost forgive its weak points. But if the book was mostly the backstories, I'd be all over it. Mm -hmm. I think that all of a sudden, Stephanie Meyer like ups her writing game when she's telling these stories. And then she completely loses herself in the, the pleasures of sexual assault and uh, not knowing how to write like a Bronte. <laughs> but uh, knowing how to reference a Bronte, perhaps excessively, I'm going to yes. say yes, because it even does make its way into the movie. Uh Oh, we should uh, we should stop. We should pause. We should explain. We should just stop. What we're doing. I think <laughs> I think the world agrees that we should probably just stop. <laughs> I don't know that I couldn't keep coercing people into watching Twilight movies with me. And what <laughs> what purpose would I have if I didn't have that? Hi, welcome to Pizza Toast. This is a podcast uh, where we talk about YA and middle grade novels and the adaptations thereof, TV and film. Uh, there hasn't been a Twilight miniseries yet. There will be, right? There, I mean, like I think, on television. I think it's in the. I think it's in the works. Oh, of course it is. Uh, I'm Christy. I'm Phil. Uh, we're talking about Eclipse. We're yes. talking Eclipse. We're talking David Slade. We're talking better performances, uh, except from one guy. Uh, oh, no. I don't know who you're referring to, though. So he's I'm still gonna bad. Who's going to carry but that he's, over this He's week. upped his... I will say that he has... Everyone has let go in this movie of a lot of their little bags of tricks. We get mm -hmm. less lip biting from our lead. We so get much less... less. We get actual humor from our, our romantic lead, and we get less, like, like, skeezy smirking from our werewolf friend. So, that's all of that is fair. Uh, this is the third book in the Twilight Saga. Oh, this is not uh, relevant right now, but is the fourth Mad Magazine parody called Breaking Wind? Uh, don't know because I forgot to check. I'll make sure and have that answer for you by the end of the episode. Good. It's, it definitely is. That You can't tell me it isn't. And if it's not, major missed opportunity that I'm using the term <laughs> toilet instead of twilight. Uh, this, I did remember, despite it being one of the, like, unofficial filler books, this was my favorite movie I knew, at least, and it had my favorite story, book-wise. Like, I think the plot is the most fun of this one, and there's the most going on that I actually care about in this one. And it takes all of them a while to figure out why that plot is good and interesting and get engaged in it, but when they do, things really start cooking in this book. And then Melissa Rosenberg comes along and figures out how to take the story of the third book and turn it into a functional plot with a beginning, a middle, and end, and a climax, as opposed to the sort of like roaming ideas the book has. And I'm not going to insult Stephanie Meyer. I do think she has some really good writing in this book, but she also tries to do some things that appropriately have been called out repeatedly since this book was published. Yeah, that is one 
issue I take. And the other is that the structure of the movie and the order in which uh, Rosenberg tells the story is more effective and makes more sense yeah. than the way it plays out in the book, particularly the flashbacks. Like, there's a lot going on uh, with regard to Jasper's story, with regard to the... Uh, the uh, Native American tribal history uh, and with Rosalie's story and all of these fall into, uh, I think the the Native American campfire story stays about the same, but she pulls the other two and places them in completely different spots yeah. in a way that's very satisfying and actually makes a lot more narrative sense. But the book has so many good ideas going in it. You are correct about that. Yeah, and one of the first good ideas I want to call out and say that they portray pretty well in the movie is the fact that Stephanie Meyer's vampires are terrifying and only not terrifying in this because the ones we mostly deal with have a moral a moral system. Mm -hmm. But we learn in this book that a newborn vampire for a full year is the most powerful thing on earth is also only violent and uh, will kill anything in its in its reach and does and and does yeah. and does to the degree that they think there's a serial killer on the loose in Seattle because so many people are dying. It is so much more severe of a phenomenon than I remembered it being. This is there is a news article which is actually like made me think was Stephanie Meyer like a journalist before this because the way this is written is very straightforward. Yeah. There is an excerpt of a news article about the phenomenon and how it's basically an epidemic at this point. And the this uh, serial killer, if it is one person, which obviously it's not, uh, would be the most prolific serial killer in history, right up there with the Green, uh, the Green River Killer. Which, uh, which, they never seem to address this, but I have to assume that everyone who's killed by a vampire is left just drained of blood, right? They don't address it, and they, like... They she does like she points out that like the crime scene is totally clean, but there is no mention of like what mutilation has happened to the body. Uh, I love how it looks when a vampire ki is killed in this. Oh yeah, we'll get to that. That is yeah. I know we're one going of to. The I just have to say it now. The movies gotta say it up top. Uh, <laughs> really important stuff makes me cackle with delight the first like five times it happens. Really good. Uh, yeah, what's it? Tell me, do you know, is there anything notable about the editorial process of this book? This is just following on the heels of New Moon. She churns it out pretty quickly. Yeah, I um, think it's just she was she was going off instinct at this point. I know that she had like a lot of ideas. That's why this book and the previous book kind of seem like they go together. They're, they It kind of follows the, the it, it carries the end of the book. Uh, uh, the the plot set up in the first book, which is that Bella is constantly being hunted by another vampire, uh, but ties that in with the Volturi. But it only really ties it in with the Volturi if you read the short second life of Bree Tanner, which this movie is partly based on. Like they actually mm -hmm. gave the filmmakers, she gave the filmmakers a copy of the short second life of Bree Tanner before it was published, because she was like, there's some stuff in here you can feel free to add to the movie, which they do, and it works really well. And a just book rounds I haven't that read yet. A you book what? I'm very excited to read. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's 
fast a fascinating little twilight artifact hmm. in the sense that they were like we're just going to make this movie an adaptation of both books because there's not enough off camera stuff otherwise and we've got to pull away from Bella every once in a while. <laughs> Give that poor girl some rest. Let Kristen Stewart's <laughs> hair grow out. <laughs> they said, uh, my uh, my chief complaint with the book before we start going through it, and I think yeah. it, this does start happening immediately. Uh, am I allowed to just call people I watch the movies with friends of the pod? Yes, go right ahead. Okay, friend of the pod, Jake, who I watched this movie with last night pointed out when we were discussing the ending or part of the ending that really frustrates me, the final climax said, it feels like the books are insistent on making Bella the main character, but not the hero. Yeah. Uh, the movies do a very good job of pushing her to the forefront of the action where she gets sidelined a lot in the books. And even I think throughout whenever there's Edward Jacob Bella nonsense, it just feels like she is an uh, she is the object of desire, and it's not. It's not like our Hunger Games love triangle, right? Because it's constantly the boy perspective and not the girl perspective. Like Bella wants a part of this in a way that Katniss doesn't, but we don't really know why, and we don't really care why. <laughs> well, what's interesting is, and and I I. I struggle to look at the storyline separate from the book and the movie. Like I can only sort of look at them in relation to each other because mm -hmm. the movie tells the same basic story as the book, of, but it edits enough out and changes enough around that the characters are wildly different uh, across the board from Bella to mm -hmm. Jacob, to Edward, to Charlie, especially become very different players. Rosalie's very different. Uh, and right off the bat, the book starts off with Bella constantly being kidnapped by the Cullens because Edward does not want her hanging out with Jacob. And that's it's shown to be because he's like, I don't think you're safe around the werewolves. It ultimately comes out that it's because he's just jealous of her hanging out with another boy. But it's so aggressively manipulative. Like, she'll try to sneak out of the house, but because Alice can see into the future there's always just a Cullen waiting for her in the road to literally grab her by the arm and throw her back in her house. Because of events that uh, transpire later in the book, I'm not furious at them for doing this. Right. Because it turns out that Jacob is not great for her to be around. If this were happening in the movie, if both the kidnapping and what happens with Jacob happened in the movie, it would feel much more unfair. Or rather... If Jacob behaved the way he does in the book, as he does in the movie, then right. it would feel very uh, like a, like she was being maligned. Here, it actually, I really don't like Jacob Black. I think I think this is worth us saying. Um, uh, when they eventually kiss in this book, and it's a consensual kiss, uh, I remember reading this book and skipping those pages because I was just blindly furious at everyone yeah. involved. And at the time, it was more of a loyalty to Edward. But now I read this, I'm like, oh, oh, it's so much worse than that. <laughs> and as bad as it is, I'm going to I'm going to go to bat for Stephanie Meyer a little bit and just say I get what she was trying to do. 
they mentioned throughout the book that Bella's favorite book is Wuthering Heights, and she kind of sees herself as a Bronte heroine torn between two men who are both kind of jerks. And so Meyer seems to be trying to create these Bronte men, these like unlikable cads who are, they both have their own like weaknesses and they're both, they have their own traumas and they take it out on the woman in their lives. But it doesn't work. She's not a good enough writer to pull that off, especially since she's kind of doing a complete 180 from the other, the previous book, which was all Romeo and Juliet. And this one was, and and also, okay, Jacob is much more of a teddy bear in the prior yeah. book. I'd say he's a he's a sweetie darling for a lot of that book. Although we start getting in that book the point where Jacob turns into a werewolf and then his personality shifts and this book he is full tilt into just like a he's a big old jerk uh not yeah. a not on board with him anymore and even when Edward uses language that I hate when Edward talks about how she belongs to him and him only that sort of thing he still doesn't look quite as bad to me he looks more like a uh uh, the the kind of teenage boy that I find less harmful. <laughs> well, plus we do get a great scene in the book after all the kidnapping and and like you know you're not leaving this house and Alice becomes my least favorite character in the series in this book. I mm. stop seeing her as like charming and start seeing her as she's her she's insane to the point of she's just manipulating everyone that she can. She's so manipulative. Uh, and she pl- she passes it off as this like, teehee, I'm just a cute little fairy. But I'm like, mm, no, you're an all-powerful vampire and you're freaking me out. And you're very, mani- like, you manipulate a person into having a wedding they don't want. You uh, sure do. <laughs> but the uh, Bella gets a great scene in the book after all the kidnappings transpired where she just finally tells Edward off. And mm-hmm. she's like, cut it out. I am my own person. This is horrible. I don't like you doing this. And he's like... Oh, I think you're right. I think I'm actually being a jerk and this is not what you need in your life. And so he actually becomes this guy where he's like, you know what? Kiss who you want. Hug who you want. Do what you want. I'm an undead monster. I honestly can't give you everything you need. Or as he says in the book, I can't fill all your holes. And I know you have some holes that only Jacob can fill. And I am not kidding. He almost he word for word says that. And, and Bella's like, I don't have any holes. And I'm like, I think you have some holes. You are literally begging for your holes to be filled at one, <laughs> two points in this book. We also, we get reminded that Edward has never felt this way about anyone before and not even remotely close. He's never loved a person. Like he's never yeah. had any kind of romance in his life. And vampires are just so darn intense all the time that I imagine his feelings are a little bit more powerful than normal human. Uh, I'm going to do everything I can to justify Edward's actions. I'm realizing like I'm very loyal to this character. I but... have no problem with, I, I I continue to justify it simply by what you just said, where he was yeah. turned into a vampire at a young age. He does make it sound constantly like he's from like, Shakespeare's time but I'm like dude you were born in the early 20th century yeah he's like I'm just so old fat in my time a man would court a woman and I'm like people had premarital sex before <laughs> before the 1950s Edward I think you'd heard of it before then by the way a book that's very much about sex never says the word sex which is yeah. very strange 
He knows about Rosalie's story, right? So he knows that bad things have happened to people with regard to this, and he has decided not to think about that. Um, mm-hmm. oh, we should probably go through what happens in this book because it is an actual story. Uh, there's not, it's a, there's lot, not of a lot of faffing about. There's uh, The movie opens uh with something that i actually think would have been a really helpful framing device in the book it shows us kind of the the beginnings of the uh the newborn vampire army that's yeah, going we to have a, a local forksian resident riley bear or whatever his name is yeah he has a name uh he is he is and what, what by by taking this stuff from the from the short second life of Bree Tanner all that's what all this is from mm-hmm. by taking this you really get a great parallel with Jasper's story mm-hmm. uh, Jasper's origin story is very similar to Riley's they were both uh, seduced into the world of vampirism uh, and they were just pawns in a vampire battle uh, but they were they were newborns who were given a little more authority than they probably should have been and just trained to murder for the for the delights of a single female vampire mm-hmm. uh because yeah. we can't forget uh our our redheaded friend victoria uh who kind of popped in and out of the previous book she was there just long enough to kill uh harry clearwater mm-hmm. and she kind of phased out and then she turned into an entire new actress. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard stepping in for Rochelle Lefevre here. Uh, not doing that. I mean, Rochelle Lefevre never spoke. So right. we can't, we have no idea what that performance would have looked like. I like Bryce Dallas Howard here. She's not there that much, but I like when she is on screen. I uh, I understand her power when she is. And I like that uh, that she gets to be in a big old fight at the end. Big fan. Rochelle, uh, Rochelle Lefevre, uh, Canadian actress who was told uh, in no in no like confusing terms, you are allowed to do other movies and projects in addition to the Twilight movies. She's like, great. I can't wait to make this Canadian film called Barney's Version, which I guess is based on like the most famous Canadian novel ever written. So it was like a huge deal. And then the Twilight people were like, we're making this movie. Where are you? And she's like, I'm making Barney's version. They're like, hope you enjoy your Barney's version. Hope you get nominated for all kinds of awards because we got to start making this other movie. Get Ron Howard's daughter on the phone. So I definitely just like assumed that she got recast because they wanted to recast her, not because their hands were forced. That changes things that makes it a like i i always just assume they've done this for reasons i wouldn't understand that makes a lot more sense because i mean and honestly if i hadn't known that bryce dallas howard took over the role i probably wouldn't have noticed you see victoria just so randomly throughout the first two movies (laughs) even though she's like the primary mover of the second film uh she's the reason everything happens that when bryce dallas howard shows up i mean they have her done up enough that she just looks like another pretty redhead. And I was going to say they're different. I kept talking during the movie uh, yesterday about how they're different kinds of beautiful. Because <laughs> if you look at them next to each other, they do look different. But it is uh, essentially the same. You don't see enough of Victoria that you could really tell the difference if no one had told you. And um, everyone looks different in this movie because David Slade shoots this movie like a consummate professional like if you watch the interviews with him 
All he cares about is camera types, camera placement, what film stock they're using, what lens length they're using. He's like, you cannot shoot a movie unless you know every single thing there is to know about every single thing about every part of filmmaking. He's like, I can't show someone coming up out of the water if I have not enough room to put the camera and I have this <laughs> length of lens and I have this type of, of film stock. I've got to I've got to rethink what type of films. And all the actors and technicians are like, this guy knows every single thing about filmmaking to the degree that he has his fingers in like every he's like, you there we don't need scripts in this part. I can convey a character's emotional state simply by how far away I shoot them from and, and the length of the lens. And darn it if he's not right because he somehow manages to en encompass so much just by the way he films things and positions uh, characters. He makes some very smart decisions with regard to how the Cullens are styled Mm -hmm. And how he shoots them. They still seem like ethereal beings when there is a large group of people. They look a little more normal when Bella is one-on-one -on -one with them. And they don't sparkle. Uh, Edward sparkles for one side. It reminded me at the beginning of, I, th I think it's the hunt for Red October when a few people speak Russian. <laughs> right. For like the first three lines and then they switch abruptly to English. And you're like, well, it's been established what they are. <laughs> We don't need any pretension about using multiple languages anymore. Let's just go over. Well, so and I like, assume that the sparkle here, effect is still the most. I assume it's still the most expensive effect in the filmmaking in their filmmaking tool bag uh, at this point. So <laughs> it has probably, to be the wolves do not look great in this movie. <laughs> that's they actually somehow look a little worse in the last one. And I had. I'm going to assume it's because again, this movie was in pre-production, production, and into the theaters in like a little over a year. It was. Mm -hmm. In and out. They, they had to completely rebuild the Cullen house because they couldn't shoot in the actual house because they're now filming in Canada. They rebuilt the entire house. Like, not, not parts of the house. The entire house. Not just the house, but the land surrounding the house, including the woods and the, like, cliffs, in a soundstage. Like, indoors. It's the most, I think at the time it was like the biggest outdoor, indoor set ever built or something like that. It's amazing. And they had to go off photographs in order to like, and you, there's like this interview, this like tour of the house with like the set designer. And he's just like, all right, we had to like recreate all this and recreate all this because we know that the fans are going to pick over it. But there's like little details in the corners of like, here's their adventures in Japan. And if you look through this side of the house, you can see like how, like who went where in Japan and how they like their, that trip was taken care of. I, I just want a tour of this set now. It looks amazing. Well, it's a spot on recreation too. And, yeah. and you need the recreation because there is a graduation party uh, in this movie. Cause one of the early set pieces is uh, Bella, Alice, Etc.'s graduation party. Um, yeah. It's um, yeah. Like, uh, so what's going? What's going on in this movie? We got a, uh, we got well, the Bella's newborn army is rising up, but we do not really know that. That's sort of at the fringes. We know something bad is happening in Seattle. Yeah. Maybe as a reader, you put it together a little sooner than they do. I'm gonna say certainly you figure out who is behind it sooner than they do. Well, it would be, 
the height of weirdness if Stephanie Meyer just threw a serial killer plot into like the third book <laughs> in the series. Like, I think most readers are like, it probably be vampire. It's probably it's vampire. it's not just that it'll probably be vampires. It's probably gonna be Victoria. Like, yeah. I to me, it's very clear that that's who's behind this. And in the book, they're like, maybe it's the Volturi. Maybe they're doing something completely oh. uncharacteristic, which is very oh. odd. And also. Someone seems to have broken into Bella's room at some point and stolen all of her stuff for scent purposes. And it takes them forever in the book to think maybe that's related to Victoria and that maybe Victoria has something to do with these other vampires. Like, they in the movie, they put those pieces together pretty quickly. There's no, so like, quickly. there's no conspiracy board. They're like, they walk into her room. They're immediately like, someone broke in here. It was a vampire. Who's the vampire that we're most worried about? Probably Victoria. Oh my God. She's putting together an army. Boom, boom, boom. It's out of the way. And we don't have to worry about that. Also, they spend more time in the book talking about where Bella isn't applying to college than they do about putting together the whole vampire army thing. Again, Stephanie Meyer just kind of wrote and then they published what she wrote. They they want you to know that uh, Bella can go to Dartmouth. Because she's going to get accepted by what I assume is like some kind of mind control or something. Uh, and then Edward is going to pay her tuition because they'll be married by then. Means combined right. finances. <laughs> and also Edward is going to make her, force her to apply to schools because he also knows how to forge her signature on applications. Uh, and they fortunately do away with all that in the movie. In the movie, she's just going to college. They're going to college in Alaska because it's, you know, as we saw from 30 Days of Night, always, it's so (laughs) dark there a lot. I gotta say, I do want to, one quibble I have with this movie, and I understand why it's like that, because it's much, it, this is much more aesthetically pleasing, like it's nicer to look at. It's way too sunny in Forks it's for most of this movie. Yeah. It's like really sunny in Forks. And I'm, again, okay with it because it looks nice, but like, it's not my it's it's the thing that uh feels l- least uh least consistent uh with the prior movies while still being an improvement somehow. But I think it's I think it's like they're probably like, you know what, we we've we know what it looks like with the blue filter over everything. I think we're ready for audiences to just enjoy these people's skin. <laughs> and we do. Oh, we see so much of it. No, specifically we see okay. <laughs> basic uh, basic story of this book find out there is a vampire army uh have to vanquish it at the same time bella is struggling uh with the choice between edward and jacob that is the whole of this movie this movie and this book then you also have like jasper's backstory sprinkled in rosalie's backstory sprinkled in you find out why rosalie has always resented bella this is a combination of jealousy and resentment and hating that she's not uh she didn't get to be human in her life you find out that jasper wasn't why did he have to be a Confederate vampire? Uh, he's well, a little do, southern I, here and there. I like that they established that in the South, in America's South, for a long time, vampires just ran rampant in communities yeah. across the border. Uh, it's it's an interesting. I think it's an, a very interesting. Like once you do away with death by sunlight, your options with vampires expand so like Mm -hmm. in this desert region where towns were kind of far apart back at the turn of the century you you had vampire communities springing up and then every once in a while the volturi would have to sweep in and clear things out when things got out of hand but it was kind of lawless and that's 
so you set things in the South. Well, you got Confederate. Plus, they set they set up that like yeah, Jasper was not like, and then he was a, a multi a multiple murderer for many years. Yeah, he wasn't a, a good person. He does have cool scars all over his body because we were reminded that a vampire scar in these is not like two little pinpricks. It's right. like half. A, it's like a crescent moon. It's like someone's bite. And yeah. it's very cool because he has them all over his body because he was a huge part of these kind of unofficial vampire wars, like uh, yeah. different different factions um, battling for territory. It's why he becomes the mentor for everybody else and teaching them how to fight uh, baby vampires. Now, and what's cool is because the books had been written before the first movie was dropped. Uh, what's his name? Who plays Jasper? Uh, Jackson uh, Rathbone. Jackson Rathbone had Jasper's backstory already. Mm. And so he was able to put a lot of that into his character ahead of time. So he's like, this guy's a soldier. He's freaked out by a lot of this stuff. He's got all this trauma. What it comes across to us as, especially in the first movie, is this guy's just weird. Yeah, he's a, he's a creepo. He, but then... He's able to justify all that in the third movie, and it works. You're like, oh, yeah, this guy's a weirdo because he was a conscripted murderer for so many years before Carlisle found him and, like, lured him away. Uh, it's There's some inconsistency with the Volturi that get mm -hmm. explained with the with the Brie Larson or whatever her name is character <laughs> in her background, the short, steady life of Brie Larson, and... We, because the question is like, well, the Volturi, if you break vampire law, you get murdered by the Volturi. Why isn't Jackson Rathbone murdered? There's like all this like sort of like labyrinthine explanation for that in the short it's study. It's fine. I don't care. Yeah. You come to find out it's because Brie Larson told the Volturi, that, told uh, Edward that the Volturi had actually made a deal with Victoria through Edward Tele telepathy mm. and that when Edward tells Bella close your eyes before before Brie Larson gets murdered it's actually not him telling Bella that it's him saying that to Brie he's like close your eyes like as a way of like you don't want to watch your own you, you just shut this out you're dead and with the fact that Brie Larson is being played by a uh, uh, little girl from Silent Hill it's just layering wow. on all the tragedy. It's just like you got all this tragedy layered on top of tragedy. She's great. The part is very small in the movie, but she has this great face acting. You don't mm -hmm. want this little girl to be murdered by vampire ghouls. And unfortunately, she gets her head smashed off or someone does. Oh, it's so cool when they do that, though. Uh, the fights in this movie are very fun because... Uh, to keep things bloodless, and I know that's not the only reason, uh, but that I think that feels like a large part of it. To keep, to keep the fights largely bloodless, they have vampires sort of marbleize and then get crushed uh, yeah. when they die. So there's a lot of heads being twisted off and then turning to stone. There's like stone hands. There's, a, there's stone limbs flying all over the place. Really cool looking, oh, easier to CGI than whatever else they would have done, I think, because this ends up looking really nice. Oh, also a big point of this story is that the wolves and the Cullens are working tensely together. 
Yes. Um, they start to respect each other. We get a few uh, wolf uh, human slash vampire interactions that are very sweet. Um, Seth Clearwater, uh, the, the youngest Clearwater, who's like 15 years old, uh, becomes a wolf and is instrumental in the final battle, like very much aiding Edward and Bella as Edward does eventually take down Victoria. In the movie, Bella kind of sort of takes down Victoria uh, gives him a big, big like uh, fourth quarter assist, and it's great. Which she does in the book, but in the book it doesn't do anything. Yeah, and it doesn't matter all, in the book. And they all turn on her afterwards, and Edward's like, "You stupid, stay <laughs> out of the fight, stupid!" And Jacob's like, "Yeah, stupid. Why are you stupidly bumbling into our fights, Bella?" And then this like. Is- Bella's like, I'm so embarrassed that I dared step into the fight. Whereas in the movie, she's like, oh, that symbolism we set up earlier in the story? Let's have it actually pay off. Yeah, so Bella hears all of the... Like, when uh, Edward relents and allows her to go to La Push and go to the res and, uh, like, spend some time with Jacob because, okay, yeah, she is safe with Jacob. uh, uh, Easy enough. Um... She hears a lot of the sort of legends of the Quileutes, and in one of these legends, they're all about the cold ones versus the spirit spirit leaders and the wolves. Um, There is a tale of self-sacrifice on the part of one of the few humans in the, who is uh, featured heavily in the story. Uh, She's able to distract a vamp with her blood. Uh, And this is what Bella attempts to do in the book and succeeds in doing in the movie. I also like that the Quileutes in their legend in the book, they don't cover this in the movie, but in the book you find out that the reason they're werewolves in the first place is because like one of their spiritual leaders developed the practice of spirit walking and was able to sort of form an army of spirit walkers who could defeat their enemies in corporeally. But the I the concept of being incorporeal, like the act of being incorporeal, was so psychi- psychologically damaging to them that mm. it was a, a, like a torture just to be in that state for too long. So they made a deal with the wolves and were like, "Can we inhabit your bodies?" And then eventually, that just became them being able to transform into the wolves, and it works really well. It's like a werewolf origin story that's mm-hmm. far more interesting than just getting bit by a werewolf. Yeah, and it also explains like. These aren't monsters. These are like, like sort of these sorcerers. It's like it's it's your tr- traditional, your classic tale of like, we we got the wolf belt. Now we're turning into a wolf, and we don't <laughs> need the moon. And I like that these werewolves and these vampires are just very different creatures than we tend to get in vampire werewolf stories. You know what I don't like about the wolves? What? I wonder if you're going to be able to guess as I get at this. Okay, so they don't wear shirts ever. Like the boys, they just simply don't wear shirts. Leah, the one female wolf, does wear does a shirt. Does wear a shirt. For, de- for decency purposes. And I kind of wish they all did because it's it's not that, like, whatever. I'm pretty neutral toward, like, a, a six-pack. This is not, like, my tempo. So I just get very bored of it. The thing that makes it worse, and we kept noticing this over and over again watching it last night, this is the worst possible length of jean short you can wear. It goes <laughs> right to the knee. Leah is the only, again, the only one wearing something acceptable. She is wearing, like, 
normal, like, mid-thigh shorts where the rest of them just look stupid. And there is a great moment where Edward mutters, does he own a shirt about Jacob? This is what you're talking about when you say there's some humor in our romantic lead. Edward doesn't take himself so seriously the entire time. And it Uh really makes him more endearing. And I think... Pattinson is doing a bang-up job here. He's already yeah. made a character who's not always the most likable, who's like pretty prickly into a warmer presence. And this book, he really drives that home, even as he is pushing his girlfriend off of him <laughs> as she as she is in hot pursuit. It cannot be stressed enough that Bella wants to have sex with Edward. So badly. So bad. And so bad. A lot of criticism and jokes and snide remarks are leveled at this book for being like, for Edward being like, I want to maintain your virtue. I come from a different time. You don't have sex before marriage. Also, if I have sex with you, I'll destroy your body. You will end up literally being a pile of ectoplasm on the ground because I can't somehow stop my thrusting, I guess, is like his whole part. Also, does that mean they can't do hand stuff? I guess she wants it bad. In any case... I don't have a problem with a male romantic lead who's like, I don't want to, I'm not ready to have sex is basically what he's saying. I'm actually totally for a character saying like, I don't need to prove myself in that way. I don't, I'm not ready for sex. I'm not comfortable having sex. Let's negotiate this. And they spend a lot of the book negotiating their sexual relationship uh, without ever saying that sex. scene the second time they talk about it is interminable it and it hand, <laughs> it's handled so well in the movie where there actually is like a more provocative scene like of them being mm-hmm. physical like him not being able to control himself as much they still don't go far it's more just like hotter making out than normal but he's able to be pretty concise about it and bella isn't like but what about this (laughs) it is pretty funny that i mean you hate to bring up the religion stuff but it is pretty funny that it comes from a culture that gave us the concept of soaking which is (laughs) for those of you not in the know is the act of penetration with no movement so that you're not arousing anything you're simply it's the act of sexual penetration which i'm allowed to say and then you just lay there enjoying the moment and i'm like it's weird that they are like let's just go i think i wrote to you and i said literally a scene in which bella is begging for just the tip yeah like, and she it's... says it in the book she's like can't we just try a little something and i'm like <laughs> i respect that edward's like no that's going too far for me i just wish he didn't frame it as because I will pound your pelvis into the other into another universe, which is this whole thing. <laughs> no, and he does come off as like pretty like attempting to have some virtue about himself, which is right. Nice, I like it. Uh, it does also in the movie lead to Charlie attempting a sex talk with Bella and Bella giving him a double thumbs up as she says she's a virgin and me laughing genuinely at something. Another yes. thing. Because this movie's funny. This movie's yeah, got and jokes. The, and David Slade, I believe, it was think it was David Slade, said, you cannot have Billy Burke on screen and not have comedy. He's like, how can you do that? He's like, this is guy's a funny actor. We have so much hard, such a hard time him not turning every scene into a comedy scene. Let him be fun. And yeah, he's he's funny. I hate that the scene ends with him being like, whew, thank God she's a virgin. Come on, come on. <laughs> but at least in the book, 
we get the assault on Bella. It's literally an assault. She calls it an assault from Jacob. She punches Jacob in the face and breaks her hand because he has literally assaulted her. His reaction is, ah, come on. You know you want it. She goes home. He has to take her home. She goes home. Charlie's like, what happened? She goes, I broke my hand. I punched Jacob because he sexually assaulted me. To which Charlie responds, up top, Jacob. Literally like high fives Jacob for kissing Bella against her will. In the book, that happens. He's like, right on, man. You finally gave my daughter what she needed. A good non-consensual smoochy-ooch on the lippy dips. And I'm like, Charlie, <laughs> you're, on, you're, on the, you're on the outs with me. Fortunately, movie Charlie doesn't do that. Fortunately, movie Jacob, who doesn't like manhandle her like he does in the book, he kisses her against her will. Like he grabs her and kisses her as a stupid teenage boy might think is appropriate. Um, Bella is immediately like, this is the worst thing you've ever done. I can't believe you did that. And Jacob immediately apologizes like in the next scene. He's like, that was totally, out. I, I am totally sorry. Doesn't make it okay. But it is that thing where I'm like, yeah, I can see a teenage boy thinking this is the romantic thing to do. Let's show a teenage boy how to appropriately apologize for it, at least. Yeah, there's contrition in the movie, and that echoes through the rest of it. In the book, he keeps bringing it up. He keeps being like, you kissed me back. And she's like, absolutely no, I did not. And because these are written from Bella's perspective, we know that there was nothing in that kiss for her. It was her... Uh, doing a thing that is a natural reaction in that situation, which is completely freezing up, giving nothing back, and just waiting through it. Just yeah. like I'm gonna stall, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on until he's done. Then I'm gonna hit him, and then he's gonna know he did something wrong. But to him, it's just like ah, teehee, that was, ain't I a stinker? Which is bad. And yeah. credit to Edward for not getting as mad about this as he could. Although this would be a time when Edward would be totally justified in like breaking Jacob's arm or but we're something. Also, but we're also getting to see Edward learning this control, learning this like Bella is her own person. I can step in if she's in physical danger, but I've got to learn to control my temper. Also, we're trying to partner up with these werewolves because there's a greater threat. <laughs> But it does lead to probably, I, I don't want to say the greatest scene in cinema history, but certainly <laughs> the greatest cucking scene in cinema history that plays up the humor enough where Bella is freezing to death in a tent. Oh, by the way, I think tents and sleeping bags and coats are made to like withstand the elements. Like, I think you can go camping in the cold. It's, uh, also, they're not in a... They're not in a climate that would lend to her being as cold as she is here. Um, it's not like they went up into like, like, like a tiny town in in Alberta or something. Right. <laughs> like, it's they're still in Washington. I think not that it can't get cold. It, yeah. Neither here nor there. This does it, be, but this does end in, a, in Jacob like, yeah, embracing to... like spooning Bella in front of Edward. So Jacob, as a werewolf, is naturally warm. Like that, we they we establish he's like I think he runs like 108 degrees. Yeah, something. It's between 107 and 109. Edward is cold, so the only way for Bella not to die is for them to for Jacob to enwrap her in his arms while he's shirtless. Where he adds, also, don't you want to take all your clothes off? That's survival 101. 
while Edward just sort of stares at them and Jacob like <laughs> spoons his girlfriend in his like big beefy arms. And it works. It's pretty good scene, I think, between it's, the two of them. I think it's also some of the better writing she does, in part because Bella isn't part of the conversation. It's these two characters that she's honestly fleshed out a lot more than yeah. she has Bella at this point. So uh, Edward talks about how if, like, he d- he in s- some part of him wishes that Bella would pick Jacob. Because it would mean that it, he wouldn't yeah. have to be so tortured all the time by the fact that she's choosing, uh, it, like this eternal non-human life with him, as opposed to having like a nice, normal, peaceful existence. And this is a we dig into this again later when Bella and Jacob consensually kiss, because Edward more or less encourages her to make a choice. Um, oh, somewhere in there he proposes to her and Jacob is mad. And that happens before they kiss. Right. We find Jacob finds out that they're engaged to be married and that they're, she's going to turn into a vampire. And, and then she not has the happy. world's ugliest ring to prove it. Uh, excuse me. She has a ring that is designed by Stephanie Meyer. So it is canon. It is. <laughs> I watched. No, I, I know. The description <laughs> in the book matches what it looks like in the movie. No, you don't understand. I watched the documentary on the making of the ring (laughs) and they went through, they like talked to the ring designer and they had like two different like ring making houses working on these things. And Stephanie Meyer would look at each one and be like, can I just finally, she was like, can I just draw what it's supposed to look like? And they did. And they're like, it needs to be something weird that doesn't look like anything else. The other ones they designed did look too much like class rings. And it's like white gold and cubic zirconia, and it is a piece of trash, and I love it. I think I'm in love with it. It's so bad. Uh, I just had to... I have a bunch of, like, cheap bands that I wear instead of my actual wedding ring, because it gets... My my fingies get too cold, <laughs> uh, and my, my wedding ring will fall off in my pocket, which is a terrifying situation. So every time I shop for rings, I have to look at a lot of ugly ones uh, yeah. until I find, like, the one single, like... What I have on right now is an eternity band, and it just has, like, some cubic zirconia studs on it and nothing else. Uh, and... It, this looks like all of the worst things that I just immediately reject the second I walk yeah. into a store. Like, I, I, I don't want you to look at my hand and see it, basically. <laughs> like, And this is all you would see if Bella were wearing it. I would, that being said, if you put this guy on a necklace, I might wear it sometimes just for funsies. <laughs> uh Yeah, there's a lot going on. Oh, we also learned the whole thing about imprinting in this book. That's like the weird, like, thing that everyone makes jokes about and then but stephanie meyer got out right ahead of it in the book and was like yeah, yeah this is helpful weird. in the book it's not mentioned in the movie but you can imprint on somebody who's a child imprinting is like soulmates it's like twin yeah. flames it's like there's one person in the world for you and the second yes, you meet like them you know <laughs> i'm just gonna drop references to twin flames as often as possible um uh <laughs> uh watch both documentaries you get some interesting (laughs) perspectives then just dive deep just keep reading reddit forums and uh, anyway um yeah or uh, or don't imprinting (laughs) the thing no don't actually get involved in the twin flames universe they're uh they're cult leaders and also they've given a bad name to the state of michigan from which i just returned the the (laughs) land the my my the land of my roots um 
Uh, imprinting. Imprinting. Yeah, you, do, you, you see somebody, you realize they're all you want for the rest of your life. In the case when it is like a child, it is explained and it is still not, like, it's still a little creepy. Like, this doesn't make it less weird, but it's explained, like, you don't have romantic feelings for them until they come of age. It is like a, um... Like, you are there, the best big brother in the world, I think is what's said. Like, the, the most yeah. loyal brother. But they call it out. Like, she's like, wait, you imprint on a child? A baby? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I know it sounds weird. It's not what you think. It just means that you have to protect this person for the rest of their life. And she's like, but it sounds like people don't have a choice but to, like, hook up with you later on. He's like, no, that's not the case. But, I mean, honestly, if, like, the perfect human being was there, wouldn't you fall in love with that perfect human yeah. being? And I'm like, well, I don't know if that's the case, but <laughs> It's I guess, also really uh, heteronormative. It seems like it's always right. a boy and a girl. But, uh, I mean, we're not presented with any queer characters in these books, so that's But also, like, we know now that there are female werewolves. Because they don't pop out of their bras when they turn into wolves. So <laughs> how does that work? Well, you don't hear about female werewolves imprinting on anyone. Can a female and werewolf, like, can I assume you can imprint on, on a person of the same gender identity. But, like, does since homosexuality doesn't exist in this universe, I guess that just means you'll be best sure, buds your whole life. Just, Unless it's, like, I mean, there's, like, some queer coding on Michael Sheen's character, but that's just because of what he's doing. That's just, like, the way he decided to play it, make this the, the campiest man in the world. Um, Yeah, uh, what else do we get in this book? We get imprinting. We get Rosalie's backstory, which is that she wanted a human life. All she wanted was a human life. Uh, she's heartbroken that she doesn't have one. It was, uh, she was robbed of most of her life by her fiance, who was courting her at the time, and he and his friends are drunk and sexually assault her. Yes. It's, and beat her in they, the street. Oh, I... They make it look like it's right on a busy street in the movie. Uh, in the yeah. book, it's more like uh, they, they coax her into like an alley. Yeah, dark alley. And it is so much credit to Stephanie Meyer for not being explicit about any of this. Like, this is right. not gratuitous. This is very straightforward. Like, a very bad thing happened to Rosalie. Uh, do with that information what you will. But it's not like a like an outlander or something where we have to read every lurid yeah. detail of it. They and do leave her for dead. They leave her for dead. They think she's dead. Uh, Carlisle smells it and saves her. Eventually she finds Emmett. And she says some some very wistful things about how she wishes that she and Emmett could grow all together and watch their grandchildren play while they're like drinking lemonade on the porch. And it's very sad. And it also, like, Rosalie, like, it pains her to resent Bella so much, but she does. Yeah, because she wanted to be have a kid. Uh, she wanted to grow old with another person. We also don't get, but I desperately want the... She, she, she kills all of the men who attacked her, mm-hmm. one after the other, in a bridal gown. That she, so cool. That she makes a point of mentioning she doesn't get any blood on. We get one shot of her, the vengeful, the vengeful uh, Rosalie in the movie. And kudos to the actor playing her fiance, who in like five seconds gives the impression of a guy who's just waiting for his death drunk in a hotel room because he's just like, he looks like, he looks like uh, 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 Iron Man's dad. And he's just, 
He does. Drunk. He looks like Howard Stark. He looks like Howard Stark, just drunk and waiting for a, a, a vampire in a bridal gown to burst through his door and tear him to pieces. Which she gives she him a beautiful smile before she does that. Yeah. Uh, and again, bloodless movie. We don't see this, uh, yeah. but I'm okay with that uh, because it's so much fun to see her about to take her revenge. And she gives, like a, again, another little smile when we cut back to present day. And she says she was a little theatrical about it. And that's a good line. <laughs> Now, the big revelation of this movie is that the Volturi show up in America. Uh, they've secretly worked with Victoria to help her. Like, they're, they're not, they didn't get on to Victoria about this vampire army she's forming because they kind of want the Cullens taken out themselves and mm -hmm. uh, without them having to get their hands dirty. Uh, unfortunately, the Cullens kill all of the little vampires. They pop off Victoria's head and, uh, or as her name is in the Mad Magazine, Vindictiva. And, uh, that's yeah. stupid. I like the, the, it. Also, it's not called Eclipse. You know what it's called? What is it called? Bad scripts. It's bad scripts. I take issue with that. I don't think it is, but <laughs> um, but you find out that they so they worked with Victoria. Uh, they're they're like we notice that Bella's not a vampire yet. Are we gonna have to kill her? But also this cute little girl, Brie Larson, or what's her name? It's not Brie Larson. Brie Tanner. Brie Tanner. <laughs> Is like, I didn't want to kill anybody. I'm just a sweet little baby girl. I'm like a 12-year-old vampire. Please, can I join the Cullens? And they're like, of course you can join the Cullens. We love you so much. And then the Volturi are like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> you can't, you can't have joined. You can't. They're like, you you broke the law. You've got to die. So they kill Brie Larson. And uh, it's sad. But that's like what her whole little book is about. Is like how she got to this point. And you find out that. Edward knows the Volturi were behind all this because Brie Tanner told him with her mind uh, mm. before it all happened. So before like she gets killed. And so she was kind of a, 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 a an honorary, honorary uh, uh, Cullen for like five minutes. But even the thing where like she's found during the fight by three of the Cullens is mm -hmm. taken directly from the story. Like, that whole little like all these little like beats are taken right from the 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 novella and it's really cool that they were like let's just weave this in there like it's it's fun and it really I think it's smart it fleshes out the story so well and it makes Victoria an actual character mm -hmm. uh as opposed to just this boogeyman mm -hmm. um now I know we have a hard out for this record we do I was turning around in part because I was like panicky like wear phone gotta gotta put up some slack stuff but yeah we have a hard out what else do we have to say about this we both like it is the thing i think that this movie so the to movie me, to me uh twilight looks like a weird student film made for no budget uh breaking dawn not breaking dawn a uh, new moon actually looks like a movie this one actually functions like a film like it character development great acting uh, beautiful cinematography. Howard Shore doing the score. It actually works. This is the first movie I actually noticed the score. Same. I didn't know it was Howard Shore, but if you had asked me, he would have been one of my first three guesses. It's really good. Yes, this is a great score. It's beautiful. It has nice bookends with them in a field. Uh, great chemistry between uh, Edward and and Bella. Like, uh, I just, I think it, this movie worked. It worked. I was happy to sit and watch it like all the way through in one sitting, not really even at the gym. Watching I watched it on the sofa. <laughs> I also, uh, I also watched it on a sofa. <laughs> a love seat. Yeah. <laughs> so what's, what's our, what about you? What did you think of it? 
I loved it. Um, I mean, the loved is such a strong word, but like I, uh, in the sliding scale of Twilight, I think this is easily the best movie. I think it's the best book, even if the book really frustrates me with some of the characterizations. The ideas are so strong that I'm on board with it. Like, uh, yeah. like full stop. Just on, like I'm, I'm, I'm riding, I'm riding the Stephanie Meyer train all the and, way to the station with this one. Every interview I watch with Stephanie Meyer, especially when it comes to the making of these movies. She just seems like she was a delight to work with. Like this, That's these are easy. literally the light mirrors of the Fifty Shades books, like in every regard, <laughs> from like the way from the, in conception all the way up through the films. It's just like night. You watch Stephanie Meyer. She's like, oh my god, I love working on these so much. Yes, I love the changes they made. Yes, I love working on this. Yes, and all the actors are like, we love Stephanie Meyer. She's so much fun to have around. And yes, they have to say this, but. I actually believe it. They seem like they had a lot of fun making these movies. Like, a lot of fun. I am going to break the illusion uh, of, like, I'm just going to I'm just gonna spring this on you right now. Uh, like, I mean, I act like we had this discussion, but we didn't. Next week, we're going to do Breaking Dawn Part 1 and the book. And then we'll give Breaking Dawn Part 2 its own episode. Yeah, we've got to. We've got we to. We have to. And in part, that way we can kind of wind up the Twilight series uh, before all the ancillary material <laughs> that we need to dive into, for of which there is so much. And so I'm excited much. for that. So what are we I'm saying so goodbye to this week? Oh, that's such a good question. I think we're saying goodbye to Riley Beers. Let's say goodbye to Riley. Great performance. First time actor. Uh, they found him. They loved him. Apparently he was an asset on this set. So let's say goodbye. Looks like a CW boy. He does. I think he's like Australian. That checks out. Uh, yeah, goodbye, <laughs> Riley Beers. Goodbye. We love you. We miss you. <laughs> R.I.P. to a real one. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. <laughs> <laughs>